Good morning, everyone. I'm doing a little bit of double duty this morning. We lost our worship leader to some sickness yesterday, um, so I just stepped in at the last minute. Um, so just pray for me. <laughs> Jimmy and I um, just came in uh, late last night from our 20th anniversary trip. Our Yes, we made it 20 years. Um, we, our actual anniversary is on October 12th, um, but we went back to the place where we went on our honeymoon, to Banff in Canada. And um, we spent a lot of the week um, reminiscing about these past 20 years. So as far as we could go, like at dinner time, we would sit and we'd be like, all right, 2002, like what happened in 2002? I would sort of recount the stories, you know, after, by like 2010, we were, so, it was all blurring together. So we're like, all right, 2010 to 2015, like what were those meaningful moments? You know, what were those really challenging seasons? And it was good to remember God's faithfulness to us um, as a couple and just the highs, the lows, the people we've known, the places that we've been and what brought us to this place that we're at right now. Well, St. Peter's, it has been three years, October 1st, 2019, um, since Leisha and I on that Tuesday morning walked through those doors into the sanctuary on our first official day here at St. Peter's. And I always remember the first thing that we did that we said we wanted to do is we want to come in here. Our very first act officially as staff of St. Peter's is to come in here and to pray um, and to worship and to, to dedicate this time and this space, this season um, to the Lord. And um, as many of you know, and maybe some of you don't know, we along with 20 new members from All Angels Church, my former church and Church of the Heavenly Rest, where Alicia is from, we became part of a new chapter of St. Peter's 190-year history. And so much has happened in these past three years. You know, similarly as, as me and Jimmy's marriage, the highs and the lows, you know, people who were with us in the beginning and have moved on, others who have joined us since that time, even the past few months. And anniversaries, I think, are really good for remembering. And so today, I thought um, I wanted to share more personally um, my testimony of how I got here to St. Peter's. Um, other people who came with us have their own stories, um, but what I'm going to share with you this morning is, is mine. And this is not a new story. You know, some of you have heard this story uh, multiple times before. Um, but I think, you know, stories are so important. Um, the way that like families tell the same stories like again and again and again because they're kind of like this north star like they remind you of who you are you know where you've been on this journey where you're going and even when you lose your way um, they remind you of what is real and true and what's most important and can give you strength and courage for the journey ahead it's actually way too long of a story to tell right now but there's, there's just a few touchstones that I want to share with you this morning. And they center around these three images that we just um, heard read to us from Ezekiel and Revelations. A valley of dry bones, a river, and a garden. So first of all, the valley of dry bones. Um, many of you know, I didn't grow up in the Episcopal Church. That really wasn't my thing. I grew up in a Korean immigrant church, and um, Korean Christians are quite intense. They're really emotional about things. They cry a lot. And when I came into the Episcopal Church, I just thought it was so boring, so dry. I did not get the liturgy thing, like reading your prayers that you didn't come up with yourself, like none of that. But um, along the way, God unmistakably called me to this church and to the priesthood. 
It's around the time of my ordination, so this is September um, 2012, just 10 years ago. I was really struggling as I thought about becoming a priest. And I was like, God, why are you calling me to this old, dying, really white <laughs> denomination? Like, I don't understand. And I, so I was really struggling with it. I was, off, I, feel, I was feeling really like a fish out of water, really out of place. And um, so I had, you know, people who loved me praying for me. And like a number of people, they just said, you know, as, as we pray for you in preparation for your ordination, Ezekiel 37 keeps coming to mind. This image of this valley of dry bones and the Lord bringing Ezekiel into this valley and, and, and telling him to prophesy to these bones that they might live and calling on the spirit of God to come and breathe life into those bodies. And that picture, I didn't know what it meant exactly for me, but it felt like hopeful to me. It felt meaningful to me because I was feeling so daunted. So right around that time, it was like right before my ordination, I read the story of Peter stepping out of the boat with Jesus out there on the water. And I've read that story so many times. I often identify with Peter and you know, just feeling scared and seeing the wind and the waves and trying to step out and starting to sink. I've read that so many times through the eyes of Peter. But when I read the story this time, um, for the first time, I read it through the eyes of Jesus and how Jesus felt being out there on the water and seeing Peter in the boat. And if you remember that story, Peter says to Jesus, you know, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come out to you on the water. A lot of times in that story, we tend to focus on Peter's lack of faith. Like he saw the wind and the waves, he started sinking. But in that moment, like I felt and I saw Peter the way Jesus did and how much Jesus loved Peter in that moment. You know, there were a lot of dis disciples, it was easy to stay inside the boat in that moment, but how much Jesus saw Peter's longing and desire to be out there with him on the water, experiencing what it's like to be totally upheld by his power and his love. And in that moment, as I read that story, I felt like I could hear Jesus in this moment I was taking to step into the priesthood, like holding his hand out to me and just saying, Christine, come. I see your longing to be with me. I see your desire to be with me. Just, I'm holding my hand out to you and just come. So around that same time, I met um, a woman named Carol Anderson. She's one of the first women who was ordained as a priest in the Episcopal Church back in the 1970s. And um, Carol was the former rector of All Angels, my former church, back in the 70s and 80s. And she was kind of like a legend. And the, story, the way the story goes is that All Angels was a lot like how St. Peter's was more recently. You know, they had these big, huge, crumbling buildings, small congregation of like 15 to 20, a struggling, had been struggling, you know, earnest, but just struggling for, for many decades. And um, the bishop sent her actually to, Saint Pe to All Angels um, thinking that it would close, you know, eventually. It would just go, she would give it a dignified death. But what ended up happening was the exact opposite. You know, Carol was such an evangelist, so she was like just preaching the gospel, sharing the love of God, and what ended up happening was renewal. You know, what ended up happening was evangelism and healing and people coming back to, to Christ or coming to experience Christ for the first time, and then just this renewal happened. I hear the bishop was kind of mad at her <laughs> because he really wanted to sell the buildings and take the money, but, um, but and now it's this, this beautiful, vibrant community. So I was always really inspired by that story. It always like resonated with me really deeply. And now she's become like a, a mentor to me. 
So in that time that um, I eventually came on staff as a priest at All Angels after my ordination, and I remember um, that oftentimes people would describe All Angels as being this healing pool. So think about the man by the pool of Bethsaida. So there's this healing pool. And people who were broken and wounded and marginalized by society would come and they would experience healing in this pool. But then as the years went by, in prayer for all angels, another image began to emerge where it wasn't just like, here's this pool that's always sort of still and stagnant and you come in, you sort of get your healing and just hang out and swim around in that pool. The image became this healing pool where water just started seeping over the sides of that pool and then down the steps. And the image was of this water like flowing down the steps of all angels into the streets of the city. And this beautiful picture of this river of life flowing through the city and touching those places where there's brokenness, where there's woundedness, where there's evil, where there's hatred, and bringing that life and that healing and that peace I began to hear these stories of, um, of a similar kind of thing happening in England. And what was happening is in the Church of England, very similar to the Episcopal Church, you know, old, dying, huge, crumbling buildings, small congregations. What was happening is um, churches were beginning to send out priests with a small group of people to either plant a brand new church or to help revitalize a struggling one. And life was happening. Similar to what happened with Carol and all angels, people who are far from God, just coming to know God in a new way, people who are unchurched or underchurched, encountering Jesus and communities being renewed. And I would hear these stories about what was happening in London and, and thinking to myself, why couldn't that happen here in New York City? You know, why, if it can happen there, if God can do that there, why couldn't God do that here among us? And then I was like, you know, somebody should do that here. <laughs> you know, somebody, not me, but like somebody should do that. So I started like feeding the bishop books about church planting. And sometimes I would meet somebody and I'd be like, you know what? Have you ever thought about church planting and church? Because I'd, I'd be trying to like recruit people for the cause. And as, as you can imagine, so the way the story goes is eventually people were like, well, Christine, what about you? And I was like, me? And I'm like, that's not, I'm, I'm you know, I, I didn't never envision myself as the type. You know, when I envisioned church planters or church revitalizers, it was always like this particular type. Imagine like alpha male cowboy, like that type. You know, just like really like, you know, charismatic and really kind of more aggressive and just sort of like, yeah, let's do this. And, um, and I just never, I'm like, I make a great number two. Like, I love supporting somebody else in what they're doing. It just kept on coming up, and I'd be like, don't pressure me. <laughs> I can't be pressured into this. But at a certain point, I realized, like, I, I think I just need to pray about this. You know, let me at least just pray about it. Because the feeling I was having, and I would just say this to people, I was like, I feel like there's this river that's flowing, and I'm getting caught up in this river. And I don't know exactly what my role is to be in this, but something is happening. Like, the spirit is stirring. And so I think I need to pray. So this was like spring of 2018, and I gathered a small group of people, and I asked them to pray with me, and they kept on asking me this, this question. Christine, what do you want? What do you want? What's your desire in all of this? 
And that's like one of the hardest questions for someone like me to answer, because I'm always like, what do you want? <laughs> you know, what do you desire? I'm always very oriented towards other people, but not towards myself. And I would be like, I, I don't know. But when I sat with that question, the, the answer that felt most true and most authentic was, I want to be close to Christ. I want to be close to Christ. And I was sharing this with Jimmy. What if you know Jimmy? He's kind of a straight shooter. And he heard me say that. And he was like, Christine, are you just saying that because it sounds spiritual? <laughs> and, um, and I was like, I don't know, am I? Am I avoiding the question by trying to come up with this super spiritual answer? But truly, I felt like that's, that's really what I want. I want to be with Christ. So in that moment, as I responded to that question that they had, I, began, I told them the story about my ordination and that that image that I had of P Peter stepping out of the boat and how Jesus longed for Peter to be with him. And um, as I told that story, I started getting kind of choked up. And so Jen, Jen Knight, the spiritual director, you know, in a very sort of spiritual directory sort of way, noticed my getting choked up. And she said, you know, Christine, why don't we just take a moment and let's just, let's just be quiet. You know, let's just listen. And Specifically, let's listen around that image of the river. You keep talking about feeling like you're getting caught up in this river. Like, let's just, let's just envision that river and, and just ask the question, where is Jesus in relationship to that river? So we all closed our eyes. And immediately, um, God speaks to me often in images, but it's like immediately I saw this picture, and it was of the river, and I was in the water. And... I see Jesus, and he's in a canoe. And he's like canoeing down the river. And as he's canoeing down the river, he holds out his hand to me, and he says, come. And so I shared that image with them, and I said, you know, what's interesting about that image is it's like in the first story, Peter's in the boat, and Jesus is out in the water. But in this image, it's opposite. You know, Jesus is in the boat, and I'm in the river. I'm in the water. And what I felt like Jesus was saying was, you know, Christine, I'm inviting you to come and be with me. This river is the river of my spirit. This is my canoe, and I know where we're going. You may not know, but I know. So come and get into this boat with me, and I will take you where I want you to go. Just say yes. So there's this missiologist named Leslie Newbegin, and he has this quote that I've always really loved. And it says, he says, the deepest motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus where he is, on the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. And you know, that's a really intense place to be, right? It's kind of an intense quote, you know. The deepest motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus. And I wish it just kind of ended there, you know, to be with Jesus in the prayer closet, on the retreat, on the mountaintop. You know, I like those kinds of, of contemplative spaces. But where is Jesus? He's on the frontier of the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil, where light and darkness are always battling it out. And I felt that question of saying, do I long to be with Jesus enough? to be with him where he is. And can I say yes to being with Jesus as he is out on that frontier? So in the fall of 2018, I had a chance to go to London 
and to see what I had only been hearing about at that point. And I saw it finally with my own eyes. And all I can say is that it was as if I'd stepped into a time machine and had been like thrust 30 to 40 years into the future. The kinds of things that I saw, what was possible with God, and hearing these stories from these priests and these congregations of their church, you know, on the verge of dying and being closed, being renewed by the love of God in Christ through the church. And they would talk about, you know, say things like, um, you see these huge, big, crumbling buildings, and they would talk about, you know, people walk by and how these buildings look like palaces of long-dead kings. You know, but because, because we believe that Jesus died and rose again and is alive, we're saying our king is alive. We're going to act like that and believe like that and pray that God would bring resurrection to these dead places. So I, I met this bishop named Bishop Brickthorpe there, and he oversees church planting in the Church of England. And he had this little line where he would say, where he was like, you know, he talks about the, in our church we have bishops, priests, uh, deacons, church members. And he would say, bishops need to be more apostolic, you know, meaning like they need to be looking out at, at sort of the mission field. Where is that uncharted territory? Where is those places that really need the witness of the gospel? And he was like, priests need to be more like bishops, you know, overseers, um, overseeing the ministry and encouraging and investing in the ministry of the priests who are the members of the church, you know, the priesthood of all believers. You know, every single one of you is a priest. And so as we talked about that vision of like bishops being apostolic, priests becoming more about like raising up the priesthood, priesthood of all believers, thinking about you all, the members of the church as priests, you know, going out into your workplaces and into the community and into the schools, bringing the healing waters of that river of the spirit and, and bringing that life and, and peace and healing to the nations. You know, Revelations is the end of the story that harkens back to the beginning of the story. And in a similar way, there is a tree, you know, there's a, a river, there's fruit that's there, there's a garden. But that, that story from the beginning was a very different story, right? Because it's a story about um, the fall. It's a story about sin entering the world. It's a story about human brokenness between God and with each other. It's a, it's a story about death. And this picture in Revelations is hearkening back to that garden scene. It's like returning to the scene of the crime, in a sense, and going back to this place that had been cursed and desecrated by evil. And this picture of God bringing about this recreation that was like so powerful and so transformative that all things are being made new and nothing can stop that. And here we see this picture of the fruit of the trees that doesn't bring death in the way that it did in Genesis, but now is bringing life and healing to the nations. So I was just so inspired. And at that point, I just felt like, okay, God, I don't know what's up, but I just feel like I need to just say yes to whatever this is. So I came back to New York and I met with our bishop and I said, you know, Bishop, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm ready to do this, you know, if you are. And I'm ready to say yes to this movement of the Spirit. And it was at that point that he said, um, well, there's this church down in Chelsea called St. Peter's, and I would love for you to pray about going there and helping to revitalize it. 
And so in early 2019, a few of us began to gather together at, at the Delashmitz place, um, Michael and Julia and me and Jimmy and Michelle and Hyatt um, and one, a few others. And we began to just gather there and, and pray. And we didn't even know exactly what was going to happen, you know, whether it was going to be St. Peter's, you know, we help revitalize it, um, maybe we plant a new church somewhere. But we started praying. And essentially, I mean, just a word of warning, once you start being open and praying about something, just watch out <laughs> to what God will do, because the ball just started rolling really fast, like within a few weeks' time. It just started rolling, and in some un unexpected ways. And so the bishop connected me with St. Peter's Vestry, and then with the congregation. And I will say, those were not easy conversations. You know, as you can imagine, for a small church with, with you know, 20 or so members to hear about uh, the possibility of a new priest coming, like that's one thing, but a new priest coming with another 20 people, <laughs> you know, that, that feels like a hostile takeover. You know, and, you know, there was, there was some uncertainty and some anxiety around that. And I really want to commend the Vestra. I don't know if Melissa is here today. I don't think she's here. But Melissa Morganweck and Jahaila Lorenzo and, and others who really led that hard conversation with the congregation. And, um, and those are, you know, it's, it's tricky. But it ended up with the people of St. Peter's taking a step of faith and not knowing what was going to happen and just saying yes to this crazy vision. You know, I also just want to give props to uh, my former church, All Angels. I mean, can you imagine giving up 20 of some of your most committed members to go to another church to help them, giving up their financial resources that they are also going to be taking with them to that church? I mean, I can tell you there are not a lot of churches, especially Episcopal churches, who are willing to do that. But All Angels did that and stepped out in faith in that way as well and supported us, along with Church of the Heavenly Rest and St. James and Calvary St. George. That May, I met a woman named Leisha Epperson, who had just graduated from Union Theological Seminary with her MDiv and was a, um, going through the ordination process and looking for a ministry opportunity. And I just felt like when I first met Leisha, as many of you who know Leisha, I just liked her immediately. I could totally felt like we connected. And at the time, Bishop Thorpe from England had said, you know, Christine, when you go to St. Peter's, you should bring an apprentice with you, you know, someone who can learn alongside you. And I had thought, like, eventually I would like to do that, maybe within a couple of years, once we had things sort of set and settled and had a foundation here at St. Peter's. But he said, no, don't, don't wait, like, three years from now. Do it now, you know, right when you're starting. Like, that's the most important, the most critical time. So, you know, I had not, we had not budgeted to add another person um, to this endeavor, but just said, okay, we're going to step out in faith, believe that God will provide, and God totally did. And so I reached out to her over that summer, and I said, hey, this <laughs> sounds kind of crazy, but I'm doing this, and I'm wondering, would you want to come with me? And she prayed about it, and thankfully she said, yes. <laughs> and I can't even imagine these past three years without her. You know, what a crazy ride that this has been. Nothing like I ever imagined it would be. And I think that, like, if I had known what was going to happen, I might not have tried. You know, wasn't expecting a pandemic to hit just a few months after we got here. You know, all of those things. And there were times when I look back at that season, you know, before coming here, I just think to myself, like, was Christine, were you insane? Like, what? Like, what were you thinking at that time? 
If you know me and know my personality, know that this is sort of so not me to do something like this. But then I remember, and I remember it was God. It had to be God. And when you look at those stories of Ezekiel and Revelation, you realize, yes, Ezekiel was part of it. Um, The Apostle John was part of that. But in the end, ultimately, the primary actor was God. You know, God who has this vision of our world being made new. God who has this vision of the river of life flowing through the streets of the city and bringing healing for the nations. You know, only God can make all things new. That fall of 2019, um, I was running the New York City Marathon. And, um, you know, when you run a marathon and are logging like 18, 20 miles in New York City, you realize how tiny the island of Manhattan is. It's actually not that long. So I was having to do these crazy loops, you know, all over the city. And what started happening, sort of, I didn't plan this, but it just started happening. As I would run through the city, I would run by you know, a particular church in our diocese that I knew was struggling. And I would just stop and I would pray for that church. And I would put my hand on the gate of those churches or, the, or put my hand on the wall. And I just had this crazy thought to just prophesy over those churches and just to say, and my, my prayer would be really simple. I would just say, dry bones live. The spirit of God come and breathe new life into this place and into this space. And there were some times when, you know, I, I came here during the pandemic, and I remember I would you know, come into this space early in the morning to pray, not knowing what was going to happen to St. Peter's during this time. You know, I just had no idea. There was part of me that was like, God, did you bring me here just to close this down? I don't know. And I remember I would, like, walk through, like, each of these aisles and put my hand on the pews, and I would just pray that prayer like dry bones lift. You know, Spirit of God, come and breathe new life into this place. And just pray that prayer again and again and again. And that's a prayer that continues to be in my heart, you know, as we mark this three-year anniversary. I still don't know what's going to happen, um, what the future will bring. You know, but as I think about like the next three years, the next three years after that, you know, maybe like seasons, you know, way long into the future, after all of us are gone, you know, that is the prayer that these dry bones would live and that the Spirit of God would come and bring new life to that generation. So just as I close this testimony out, um, you know, one thing I was thinking, and in terms of just closing this in prayer, is, um, you know, there are times when like, I've certainly felt over these past few years, like I am the dry bones. I feel like dry bones right now. And realizing that um, it has to start with me. You know, it has to start with me. And, um, and so, uh, you know, I, some, uh, it kind of, that thought kind of occurred to me one day a few months ago, and I like put my hand over my heart, and I just prophesied to myself and said, you know, dry bones live. You know, Spirit of God, come and breathe new life into me. And that's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for all of you. It's my prayer for St. Peter's and for our city. Um, so let me close with that prayer, if you'll join me. And I just invite you now 
maybe if you are feeling like dry bones, you could just put your, your hands over your heart, your hand over your heart. And maybe if there's um, someone else who comes to mind, maybe there's a, a place in our city or a place in our world where all you see is, is death and despair and hopelessness. Um, maybe you can even just hold out your hand um, as you think about that person or that place or that situation that so needs the light and the life and the healing of God. And so God, we prophesy to these dry bones. We look on these dry bones and we think to ourselves, how on earth will these dry bones live? But then God, we see you. We see you in all of your glory, your power, and your love. And we affirm once again that nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible for you. And that even when we stand in our own way, God, that you are there. And so we pray, God, I pray for each and every one of us in this space, Lord, that where there is dryness, Lord, you would quench our thirst. Where there is death, would you bring new life? Where there is despair, would you bring hope? God, where it seems like there's no way out, would you bring faith and the eyes to see what we cannot see with our human eyes, that vision of the river of life flowing from your throne into our hearts, into the streets of the city, into the farthest places in our world that are being torn apart by violence. God, we pray would you come. And Lord, um, we pray for this sweet community of St. Peter's, whom you have loved its entire life like a child, beloved by its parents. And so God, we pray, would you breathe life in this community, God, that has been here for 190 years, has seen its highs and its lows, and people come and go, and yet you remain the same yesterday, today, and forever. So come, Holy Spirit, fill us, fill us with new life, that we might go forth and bring your healing to our city and to the nations. All this, God, we pray in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, 